Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the HVMN Podcast, and I'm your host, Dr. Lat Mansour, a PhD in Physiology, Anatomy, and Genetics, and the Research Lead of Health, Viable, and Nutrition. And if you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and leave a review. And if you have any question, leave us a comment. And as always, we appreciate it if you can share it with a friend. Now, without further ado, let's get into this episode of HVMN Podcast. Hi, this is Dr. Lat Mansour, your host on Health, Viable, and Nutrition Podcast. In this episode, we have Dr. Terry Walls, who is an Institute for Functional Medicine Certified Practitioner and a Clinical Professor of Medicine at the University of Iowa, where she conducts clinical trials in the setting of multiple sclerosis, or MS. In 2018, she was awarded the Institute for Functional Medicine's Linus Pauling Award for her contributions in research, clinical care, and patient advocacy. In this episode, she shared her touching story of recovering from the debilitating effects of MS herself and move on to treating other MS patients with her own experience and knowledge. We also talked about the potential causes of MS as well as the multimodal approach that Dr. Walsh uses to treat the disease. So please enjoy this episode and stay tuned. Hello, today we have Dr. Terry Walls. Thank you very much for coming on to Health Via Modern Nutrition podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. Yeah, so we are recording here on July, uh, January, I don't know why I said July, January 4th, 2023, Happy New Year. Um, and before we go straight into uh, the content here, it's going to be a very science-packed content. Um, I would like our listeners to hear a bit about you, like who are you, what's your story, um, before we go straight into Dr. Terry Walls, who is the world expert in multiple sclerosis. So, you know, I have a very personal uh, connection to this illness, uh, and I'll, I'll tell it in real time as it happened. So about 20 years ago, walking with my wife, Jackie, a half mile from home, my left leg grows weak, dragging it. I hobble home. Uh, the next day, I see the neurologist who says, Terry, this could be bad or really, really bad. Uh, and so for the next three weeks, I go through uh, uh, multiple studies, and I'm thinking about bad and really, really bad. And I don't want to become uh, disabled. I don't want to become uh, a, a dependent. And so actually, I'm praying for a rapidly fatal diagnosis. Uh, but the problem is, I, I also think about the 20 years of worsening electrical face pains that I've had. Uh, and so... I know that I probably do have a uh, progressive illness uh, and uh, that will probably ultimately be disabling. Um, you know, three weeks later, I hear the words multiple sclerosis. I uh, do my research. I find the best MS center in the country. I see their best physician. I take the newest drugs. Three years later, I hear tilt, recline, wheelchair. My face pains are relentlessly worse. My 10-year-old daughter hugs me as tears stream down my face. Uh, and that's when I go back to reading the basic science. Uh, and I've already adopted the paleo diet. I, uh, uh, as I read the scientific uh, papers, I decide that mitochondrial dysfunction uh, is what drives disability with MS. And I gradually devise a supplement program to support my mitochondria. And that slows my decline. And I'm you know, very, very grateful. But I am still declining. In the summer of 2007, I am so weak I cannot sit up in a regular chair as I am now. I have a zero gravity chair with my, uh, I sit in that as I staff uh, uh, residents in their uh, clinic. 
uh, with my knees higher than my nose. I'm beginning to have brain fog. Uh, my chief of staff calls me and says, Terry, I'm going to assign you to the traumatic brain injury clinic, uh, and you'll see patients without residence. He describes the job, and it's more physically demanding than what I can do. I'm uh, really quite bummed by that. I'm going to have to finally take apply for medical disability. In the following week, I review a study um, that uses electrical stimulation of muscles in a spinal cord injury. Uh, and ask my physical therapist, you know, can I try that? He calls it e-stim. He says it's for athletes. Uh, that uh, uh, he, yes, he could build bigger muscles for me, but he doesn't know that my brain could talk to those bigger muscles, and he might just be making it harder for me to walk. Uh, but he gives me a test session. It hurts bad, really, really bad. But when it's over, I feel great. He says it's from the endorphins, and we add electrical stimulation of muscles to my physical therapy. Uh, and a couple of weeks after that, I discovered the Institute for Functional Medicine. I take, uh, and they have a course on neuroprotection. Uh, and I sign up and I take that. And I have a longer list of supplements that I'm now, that support my mitochondria. And I'm so excited to be reading about mitochondria. And then, so I, I, I'm doing eSTEM, taking all these supplements, not a lot's happening. And then I had this really big aha moment. And, I, and now I'm sort of embarrassed about how long it took me to have this aha. It's like, what if I redesigned my paleo diet that I've been doing already for four years? Uh, and I focus on where these nutrients are that I'm taking in supplement form, where they are in the food supply. So that's a few more months of research. And I start this new way of eating in 2007, uh, December 26th to be precisely. That's my mom's birthday. Oh, it's a very auspicious day. So, you know, January comes in. I, I go to the traumatic brain injury clinic. The first two weeks, I'm in my tilt recline wheelchair. I'm watching my partners do the exams. The third week, so now it's the fourth week of this new way of eating. Now I, I, I'm supposed to start doing these exams. And then the first day, I come home. And I'm like, well, you know, that wasn't too bad. And then at the end of the week, you know, I tell Jackie, this wasn't too bad. Maybe I can do this. And then February comes along, and I realize my I'm more mentally clear. And I tell Jackie, I want to switch out the chair. I want to sit in a regular chair at the supper table. And so I'm sitting up in a regular chair to eat my meal with my family for the first time in years. Big deal. Uh, and then at the end of February, I start walking with walking sticks at, uh, at the hospital, at the VA. And people are stunned. They're like, oh my God, Dr. Walls, you're, you're, you're walking. And then yeah, in April, I'm now walking around the hospital without walking sticks. And I um, tell Jackie, you know, do you think I could try riding my bike? And she says, well, you know, maybe things keep going well, maybe in the fall. Well, two weeks later, it's Mother's Day, and I want to ride my bike. So we have an emergency family meeting. Jackie tells my big six-foot-five, 16-year-old boy, he's going to run on the, on the left. She'll tell my 13-year-old daughter she's going to run on the right, and Jackie will follow. I get on my bike. 
and I bike around the block. That big 16-year-old boy, he's crying. My daughter's crying. Jackie's crying. I'm crying. And I still, I still cry now talking about that because it was at that moment that I understood that the current understanding of secondary progressive multiple sclerosis is incomplete. And who knew how much recovery might be possible? Uh, and so after that, I, I um, you know, I'm riding my bike a little bit further uh, every day. And in October, Jackie uh, says, let's sign you up for the Courage Ride. It's 18.5 miles. Uh, and so once again, when I cross that finish line, everyone's crying. My kids are crying. Jackie's crying. I'm crying. And this fundamentally changes how I think about disease and health. It will change the way I practice medicine, and it will change the focus of the research that I do. Uh, and, you know, that was, what, for almost 15 years ago? Uh, and um, I, you know, I started um, talking to the public, uh, and, man, I was really condemned. Um, I was uh, I condemned as dangerous. Uh, the neurology community uh, 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 said clearly I, I could not have had a multiple sclerosis because uh, I could not have recovered. Uh, uh, and it was very intense. I, there was a lot of hate uh, sent my way uh, because what I was doing was so radical and completely unheard of. I mean, I, I met you, what, in sort of end of October at the yes. Halloween event. Um, I wouldn't have thought, like, if, if we didn't talk, I was like, you know, she's a perfectly healthy human being. And, and we sat down and we talked and, and here we are, you know, who we're talking we about are. our podcast. Um, yeah, I can't, I can't believe you're doing this to me, Terry. You, you're making me teary on, on my own podcast. Yeah. Um, it, it, it was it's quite an amazing journey. story. It's quite an amazing story. And what have you been doing? Since then, you know, clearly you, you've had a lot of opposition from the medical community, as one yeah. would, because they are very dogmatic. We can we know the medical and the scientific community is is very much like my PhD supervisor used to tell me, like, if it's not broken, do not fix it. Do not change it. Like, it's that kind of mentality. Um, you know, I, 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 I actually, um, I, I think we, we all are, are like this, however how I understand the world, how you understand the world, um, what lets us operate, uh, the vast majority of information coming to my nervous system is, is ignored. And I know how to operate using just a fraction of the sensory input uh, that I get. And that lets me uh, work uh, very effectively. What that means is my understanding of how science works, of how gravity works, of how I uh, get to work every day, is based on pattern recognition. And so when there's new information that comes through that doesn't fit the pattern as I understand it, I'll ignore it for mm -hmm. a long time until there's an overwhelming amount of, uh, of evidence. Uh, and so you know, I, I tell my PhD students and my med students that if you have a really new idea um, and you do a new experiment and you get really interesting results based on this really new idea, 
you will have an enormously difficult time getting that first paper published because it is such a new explanation uh, of the world. The, you won't be able to get into the New England Journal of Medicine or into Nature. You won't get into a high-impact journal. You won't get into a, a moderate-impact journal. You'll have to go find a really, really low-impact journal that is willing to um, entertain this uh, uh, peculiar idea. And then you'll do another experiment, and you'll write up your manuscript. It'll be a little bit easier to get published, and a little mm -hmm. bit easier, and a little bit easier. And you can cross-reference. And, and, you, and you cite your previous work, and other people begin citing your work, and other people begin citing your work, and gradually your ideas seem like, well, it's an interesting idea. And then gradually it seems like, well, this is really a good idea. And then eventually it's like, oh my God, it's, it's obvious. So we, we've done um, seven clinical trials. Uh, we're in our eighth clinical trial now. Uh, consistently, I'm able to show that the concepts that uh, I've been talking about for about 15 years, uh, diet, stress reduction, exercise, all have a, a, a favorable impact on your quality of life, on your uh, comorbid diagnoses, uh, your mood, your uh, motor functions, your thinking functions. And of course, the more helpful things that we do in our health behaviors, the larger the impact will be. Mm -hmm. It was so radical in 2010 when I did that first study. Um, uh, people hated the fact that I was combining everything that I did diet, uh, targeted supplements, uh, exercise, sexual stimulation, uh, and meditation. Multimodal, yeah. Multimodal. They, they just hated that because the response was, if it works, we won't know why. Which, yeah. And my, um, uh, the reason I was able to have that happen was that my chair of medicine had watched me go from being athletic to being profoundly disabled, to come back walking in his office. Uh, and he was a rheumatologist. And he had said, you know, Terry, uh, this is really remarkable. He wanted me to get a case report written up, uh, which I did. Uh, and then after I wrote up the case report, he uh, wanted me to do a safety and feasibility study. Uh, and uh, so I, I started writing up uh, that protocol. And fortunately for me, he went from being chair of medicine to the dean of the College of Medicine. Because when I wrote up my protocol, the Institutional Review Board um, disapproved the study. Uh, because they said, you know, you're the only one this has ever, there's no safety data on it, only you. And we don't sure. know that it's safe for anyone else to do this. Uh, and Paul Rothman, bless him, he said, he wanted that study to happen, so he called the chair of the uh, IRB and mm. said, you work with Walls to find out what she needs to do to address the safety concerns. And the question is not about what the mechanism is. The question is, will people do it? Uh, that's the only question that she has to ask is, will people do it? And then the next question is, does she hurt anyone in the process? And then the third question is, what is the effect size of the various things uh, that she's doing on quality of life. So uh, we did 
ultimately get approved. Uh, then I'd have to raise $100,000 so I could do all the testing that was required. Um, and uh, we have to thank the folks in Canada uh, in the maker of the electrical therapy device that I used uh, to getting me the funds so I could do that study. Amazing. Now, that's the pros and cons of science, right? Because in science, we always try to minimize the variable so that we can pinpoint what exactly is causing the change. But human bodies, as we know, it's more complicated than that. We, we work on multiple levels, multifaceted, and as a complicated chronic disease such as MS, it's important for us to acknowledge the different aspects of life that may contribute to either the worsening or the improvement of the, of the disease. Well, you know, it, it will work. Uh, mount, control all the variables uh, is beautiful for a pharmacologic, a drug study. Very effective. But if you want to improve health, and th then we can sort of think about uh, how many chemical reactions happen in my cells uh, every second? One, two, million maybe? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's really very, very complicated. Uh, and it, it's very messy science. Um, it's difficult science. It's difficult doing these multi, uh, complicated multimodal studies. Uh, and when, when I write my grants to the NIH, I get scathing reviews. They don't like this complicated multimodal stuff. They want me to do a single molecular one variable pathway. Um, however, I, I am so blessed because I also take care of patients. And We've had uh, extraordinary success with changing the lives uh, of the people that I take care of. And some of those folks then come to me and say, I believe in what you're doing, Dr. Walls. I'd like to help you do your research. And so I've, I've had most of my clinical trials funded by private philanthropy, which lets me do these you know, interesting dietary studies uh, or these complicated multimodal studies. Yeah. Um, so before we go further into the intervention, let's, for, for the sake of our listeners, let's go back to the disease itself, my, uh, multiple sclerosis, you know, medical school 101. Just explain to us what exactly is multiple sclerosis? How does the disease development happen and, and what actually causes it? So um, we have the brain uh, in the spinal cord and the cranial nerves. That makes up the central nervous system. And that governs um, uh, thinking, uh, a lot of mood. Uh, it governs uh, sensation, motor control. Uh, and we, we began uh, first describing multiple sclerosis, uh, I believe, in the 1800s. Uh, there were these white scars that could occur in the brain and the spinal cord and was involved in uh, developing uh, problems with sensation and problems with uh, motor movement uh, and control. We would eventually realize that it was a uh, immune attack, that is your immune cells, white blood cells, are attacking parts of your brain and your spinal cord or your cranial nerves. And that uh, it's attacking the myelin, which is the insulation or the uh, uh, coating on the nerves that let the nerves conduct information really very quickly. The, uh, 
there are genetics that make you perhaps a little bit more vulnerable. Uh, we have maybe 200 to 300 different genes that increase the risk just a tiny little bit for uh, each individual gene. Um, there are a handful of genes that increase the risk more substantially, perhaps 10 to 15 percent. There is So that's step one. You have to have the wrong genes. Step two is an infection of some type that occurred sometime earlier, uh, probably uh, as an adolescent, perhaps as a preschooler, that you don't properly clear. And then step three is we don't really understand. There's this complicated interaction with, quote, unknown environmental factors. If you're overweight, if you smoke, um, um, that certainly increases your risk. But then there are other environmental factors, probably what you're eating, your physical activity, your toxin exposures, your uh, adverse childhood events. And that's why people will say, we don't really know what causes MS. It's a complicated thing. Some genetic component, some infectious component, and these environmental components. My brilliance is like, okay, so we don't know. But we could address all the environmental components and shift all of those environmental factors towards the most health-promoting uh, context that I could create. So fix your diet. Add a stress-reducing practice. Increase your movement, uh, physical activity. Uh, talk about um, uh, your adverse uh, childhood experiences. Uh, get talk therapy if need be. Uh, reduce your toxic exposures, so get rid of uh, tobacco. Um, uh, improve the, the um, quality of the air, the water, uh, if you're in uh, a toxic, uh, very toxic uh, environment, uh, you may need special uh, filtration for your water or special uh, filtration for the air that you're breathing. And what we, what this is what I find in my clinical practice, is that you know I, I tell folks, yes, see your specialist, let them treat your chronic disease. And people usually have multiple chronic disease states. Uh, they have uh, often multiple autoimmune problems. Let your specialists treat those for you. Work with me, and I'm going to help you tune up your health behaviors. And we're going to work on increasing the health of your cells, the health of your microenvironment. And then I'll watch you uh, for your medication use so, you don't, so you're not over-medicated. Because if your cells start doing the chemistry of life more correctly, you will no longer need as um, many prescription medications to control your blood pressure or your blood sugar uh, or your mood or, your, or, or pain for that matter. Right. And I know in, in September 2022, you published a paper um, on Wall's behavior change model. Is this what the Wall's behavior change model about? Yeah, you know, so... Uh, the Wall's behavior uh, change, uh, I think we have about 15 steps uh, that I'll teach my clinicians to use to take people from their current uh, everyday life uh, to grow um, their understanding that change is possible. Uh, so that's inspiration. 
Uh, and then we begin step by step helping them uh, grow their motivation to gradually create a more healthful environment. Because uh, the usual uh, behavior change model is you're pre-contemplating, then you're contemplating change, then you begin to prepare for change, then you make your change, then you fall off the wagon and you relapse and you have to start all, all over again. Uh, I think it's much more nuanced in how we help people uh, be uh, much more successful. So we've created a, a much more uh, detailed step-by-step -step process. And I know uh, earlier on you mentioned in the earlier days, you, you thought it was the mitochondrial health and mitochondrial um, sort of deficiency that's causing. Is that still the case from you know your years of research and, and intervention? Yeah. Uh, I, so the... Uh, worsening, uh, uh, where you have acute flares of symptoms. Oh, there's a lot more. If I did an MRI, you'd see enhancing lesions, uh, and there's a lot more immune cell activity. That's an inflammatory component. And we have drugs that are really great at turning off and blocking that inflammation. And so you don't have as many relapses. And you lengthen the time that it takes to get uh, wheel, become wheelchair dependent, uh, to losing your job, to having cognitive decline. So instead of having it be 10 years, it's now 15 years. So definitely progress. There, there's more awareness that inflammation is part of the problem. Mm -hmm. Neurodegeneration uh, and loss, shrinkage of the brain, shrinkage of the spinal cord is what drives disability. And I think that is a mitochondrial problem. If your mitochondria can't generate enough energy, they can't nourish the myelin, they can't nourish that coating, they can't nourish the axons, they can't nourish the synapses, they can't nourish the oligodendrocytes that are repairing the myelin. So I think mitochondria is still a, a very, very big part of the illness. And I know that, you know, fatigue is also a big part of, of MS. So obviously, you know, mitochondria and energy generation, that also plays a big role, I would assume, in um, maintaining sort of energy levels so that they don't go into fatigue stage um, often. Yeah, you know, if you have ex excess inappropriate inflammation, that will lead to um, uh, more fatigue. So more inflammation will lead to fatigue. If your mitochondria can't generate enough energy, that will lead to more fatigue as well. Right. Uh, and I know you published another paper as well, um, looking specifically in fatigue. Um, could you tell us a little bit more on how you counter fatigue in your clinic um, and in, in terms of intervention? So for uh, MS, this is probably true for uh, uh, really anyone with a systemic autoimmune problem. Fatigue is the most disabling symptom, uh, uh, and it's the number one reason that people uh, leave the workforce. Uh, it, uh, yeah, you can get uh, scooters and wheelchairs to deal with mobility impairment, but uh, exhaustion uh, is common. People can have profound exhaustion uh, early in the morning uh, that they, they sleep at night, but they don't wake up refreshed. Uh, and th there's been a lot of discussion, what is driving this fatigue? Uh, we don't have a particular biomarker that will uh, strongly correlate with uh, the severity of fatigue. Uh, we don't have a particular 
MRI signal that correlates strongly with the severity of, of fatigue. Uh, we do know that if inflammation is high, people will have fatigue, but you can have profound fatigue even in the absence of inflammation. I think it's uh, multimodal. Um, I, I think it, inflammation is part of it, uh, and I think mitochondrial dysfunction is another part of it as well. And how did you measure fatigue in this sense? Is it a subjective sort of measurement, or is it more of a biomarker? So uh, in our studies, we uh, this was a uh, perceived fatigue. So we used a fatigue severity scale score. Uh, so mm -hmm. that's a nine questions uh, that people ask about um, how uh, severe the fatigue is impacting various aspects of their life. Then we also have a more detailed uh, questionnaire uh, that has 42 questions in it, uh, the Modified Fatigue Impact Scale. Uh, and um, that is just a, a much more sensitive uh, measure of fatigue. It measures physical fatigue. It also measures uh, cognitive fatigue uh, and emotional fatigue. I would like to take this opportunity to acknowledge our sponsors of this show, Ketone IQ, the best exogenous ketone you can take to elevate your blood ketone levels. I personally take it every day before a podcast to wire my brain up, before and after my workout to really feel my body. So give yourself a chance, take a shot, and you will feel the difference within minutes. So head over to hvmn.com and use the code HVMNPOD20, that is HVMNPOD20, for 20% off your purchase, and enjoy your ketone IQ, and give your brain the perfect fuel. The next part of, of this, this session is um, what I'm very excited about, and I know what you are very excited about, which is the current study that you are you're now oh, yeah. uh, actively recruiting. Um, and and for guys, uh, for listeners, I will put the uh, link to the screening um, in the description, in um, in the show notes, and the uh, YouTube as well, and walk us through what this trial entails. Like, who is this for? The inclusion criteria. What will they expect from this trial, and who should be signing up for it? So, we want people with relapsing remitting multiple sclerosis, age eighteen to age seventy, uh, need to be able to walk uh, uh, twenty five feet, uh, and that. You have to be willing to come to Iowa City, Iowa. So it's the middle of the of the country at month zero, month three, and month twenty-four. Uh, and you have to be willing to be randomized to uh, any of the three diets. Uh, one diet is the modified paleo diet, which basically uh, uh, is the diet that I use for my own recovery. Uh, uh, diet two uh, is the time-restricted olive oil ketogenic diet. So it's a lower-carb diet. Uh, we use olive oil for the fat, so it's very heart-friendly, uh, heart-healthy. Uh, and we have people eat within a six- to eight-hour uh, eating window. And then the third diet is your usual diet, and we give people some tips uh, uh, every month on how to uh, reduce their processed foods and basically eat a healthier diet. Our Main uh, uh, primary outcome is improvement in quality of life, um, but we're also looking at walking function, hand function, vision function, uh, and uh, working memory. And we are looking at brain volume. Uh, because we have a research MRI, so we'll get a brain volume study, and we'll be able to see are there any 
enhancing lesions at time zero and at the 24-month mark. Because you see, uh, people with uh, multiple sclerosis, our brains are shrinking three times as fast as happens when you have uh, healthy aging. And that's why cognitive decline is such uh, a, a big problem for people with MS. One of my hypotheses is that if we help people improve their diet, we can get their rate of brain volume shrinkage back to healthy aging. Uh, and I am very hopeful that both the ketogenic diet and the paleo diet will get to healthy aging. And I think it's also quite possible that the usual diet will get to healthy aging. And, and Lat, the reason um, I'm, I'm hopeful about that is that I know people who sign up for uh, dietary research studies want to improve their diets. That's mm -hmm. why they agreed to be in the study. Uh, and that always the control arm improves their diet through eating a diet that's much better than the standard American diet. And we're going to give them tips every month um, on uh, things they could do to improve their diet. So it, it's quite possible that all three arms will have uh, significant improvement in quality of life and that all three will have uh, significant improvement in the rate of brain volume loss. And, and I think that, that will be the, uh, probably the most interesting uh, papers that will come out of our our um, uh, out of our study will be a look at what happens. Are we able to get people to healthy aging? Because right now, none of the drugs can do that. We have drugs that are really great at stopping the relapses, that are great at stopping the, the number of enhancing lesions, but they do not prevent the rapid loss of brain volume. I'm very hopeful that what we're doing will do that. That's, that's, yeah, that's interesting. And, you know, you mentioned the three arms of different diets. Like one is modified paleo diet, which makes sense because, you know, you, you've used that. And, and then you've got the normal diet, which, you know, you send tips. And then in the middle, you have sort of the ketogenic diet, but sort of coupled with intermittent fasting as well. So how does that came to, into the picture? So the ketogenic, there, um, there's some very interesting uh, pilot studies that a lower carb diet, uh, ketogenic, uh, high in fats, uh, has been associated with better um, anxiety scores, so less anxiety, less depression, uh, uh, and uh, marked reduction in fatigue severity. Uh, now, no, uh, and they had a six-month look at MRIs, and in that study, there were no um, adverse events, no increase in lesions, but it's, it's such a short window of time, they couldn't really make any um, statements about brain volume loss. So you have to follow people for two years to be able to uh, look at that. I think um, from a, a mechanistic standpoint, if we presume that mitochondrial dysfunction is the big driver of disability, uh, in a brain volume loss, then putting people into ketosis, um, we would predict will generate more ATP, more efficient use of uh, uh, energy generation for those mitochondria, and would have a, a superior outcome. Now, long, long term, is a modified paleo diet easier to follow than a ketogenic diet? 
perhaps. We're, we're, we're going to find that out because we're, we're going to be trying to get people to follow both the paleo diet and the ketogenic diet uh, for two years. Uh, and I'm, I'm certainly very hopeful uh, that people will do well. Uh, I, I certainly see that with any dietary study, if people experience a symptom reduction as they adopt the, the intervention, um, then it's easier to adopt the intervention, easier to sustain it. And if when you abandon your diet and go back to your previous diet, symptoms come back, then you got some feedback going and like, you know what? I do feel better on this new way of eating, so I'm going to stay on it. Uh, and that's part of what I, I, I teach patients is we want them to pay attention to as they implement whatever dietary change that, the, that they're assigned to, to pay attention to their symptoms. What food choices lead to fewer symptoms? What food choices lead to worse symptoms? Because we have to be able to moderate our own behavior. And, and that gets me back to the Walls behavior change model is people have to moderate their own behavior. And that means I have to be the one to be able to see like, yep, this is worth, worth the effort because it's more, it's more work to eat this way. But I feel better. So yeah, it's worth the effort, so I'm going to do it. If I don't feel better and all that delicious food that is everywhere around, all my friends are eating it. They're trying to say, oh, Terry, come on, you know, this, this cheese, pizza, and beer, it, it's, it's really, it's so good. One piece isn't going to get into trouble. And you'll regress back to your previous diet unless we've taught you to pay attention to. You know, I really do feel better when I'm eating the steady diet. And I do feel a whole lot worse when I go back to that previous diet. If I can get people to make that connection, then uh, I think we'll be very successful at keeping them uh, on the study diet. And the reality is, if they don't feel better, they're not going to stay on the study diet. They'll regress back to their previous diet. Right. And this is a two-year two study, right, you said. And, and, and during that time, is the, is the dietary modification the only intervention that you're implementing or also the other parts of, of lifestyle? So for this study, it's a dietary intervention study. Uh, okay. This is only diet. Now, I do have other studies that are multimodal. Uh, and so um, we, we just did a study that was uh, an evaluation of an online course that, that combined diet, stress reduction, exercise, uh, physical therapy. Uh, I, and so that was a, definitely a multimodal uh, course. Now, if they sign up for this trial, can they also have access to the, the you know, come to you as a patient to improve their condition? So... Um, because that would, that, that, would, that would definitely affect the result of or the outcome, right? So if, if they're in the trial... Um, uh, we are asking them not to add any new exercise programs unless prescribed by their physician. Uh, we've not created a protocol that prohibits people from coming to see me as well. Um, so if they did come to see me as well, um, I would not be changing the uh, dietary, the diet to which they'd been assigned. Fair enough. Um, <clears throat> that's so, guys. You know, you've you've heard it. You know, if 
anyone you know or your loved ones who are going through MS and you know fits the bill and want to try out you know to to try and screen for this trial um the link will be included yes yeah, and, and gonna... tell tell your friends uh tell them to share it widely we have uh consented 67 people which means um we have about uh 90 people that we can still consent uh, and so i anticipate another uh 16 uh 17 months that we'll still be recruiting uh and so the, the key thing is you, you must have relapse or remitting MS. Uh, you have to be willing to come to Iowa uh, and come to Iowa at month zero, month three, month 24, and be willing to be randomized. And again, I, I want to be clear. I anticipate all three groups will, uh, will improve uh, and that we have levels of support for all three groups. And... You know what, Terry, the the thing that I love about what you do is that you you walk the walk. You don't just talk the talk. You've gone through it yourself. Um, as you said, you know, the, the disease itself is it's near and dear to you that what you've gone through and sharing your story. And I thank you very much for sharing with us um, really showed your passion in battling against this disease. And knowing that, you know, even though we don't know the exact cause of this disease, there are things that we can do. There are modifications to our lifestyles that we can make in order to improve that that disease progression. Oh, absolutely. There's so much that we can do. Uh, and again, um, I'm very optimistic that a ketogenic diet incredibly helpful for people who have any kind of neurologic uh, condition. And if you have relapse or remitting MS, yes, there's this inflammatory component, but there's also this degenerative component that that uh, the shrinking brain, shrinking spinal cord that is going on. Uh, so the drugs do a great job of stopping the inflammation. The drugs do not stop the neurodegeneration, that is the shrinking brain, the shrinking spinal cord, and it slows the time to being wheelchair dependent, but it doesn't stop it entirely. Right. And speaking of ketogenic um, diet, I want to take this opportunity to thank our, our podcast sponsor, which is Ketone IQ by Health Biomodern Nutrition. And I have to ask you, as you know, we do sell you know exogenous ketones is there a role of exogenous ketone in multiple sclerosis um i think exogenous ketones can be very very helpful absolutely uh, and i uh, regularly use exogenous ketones myself so uh yes i i think that can be helpful that is not part of this study design um should have had you know in retrospect perhaps that would have been uh useful but um, that was not part of the study design. Right. Um, I would love to um, have you know, any future collaborations with you, Terry. So if you have any, any interests or opportunities, um, let's uh, have a chat. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're writing grants all the time. So, yes. One of, our, one of my colleagues, um, her, her mom has MS, and, and I, will, I will definitely share your link with her as well. Um, and she, you know, after using Ketone IQ, Anecdotally, her mom's cognition um, definitely improved significantly, and it was an acute effect that, 
you know, it was it was very pronounced that she now became, you know, a, 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 a strong supporter of ketone IQ. Yeah, you know, I, I think uh, uh, additional ketones can certainly be very beneficial. <clears throat> There's plenty of uh, evidence to suggest that glucose metabolism in the brain uh, uh, becomes compromised uh, and that that contributes to why cognitive decline occurs with MS, with Alzheimer's, um, uh, and other forms of dementia, and that um, ketone metabolism is not compromised, which is one of the reasons why uh, ketogenic diets can be helpful, why exogenous ketones can be helpful for improving mental clarity. And probably also, um, I, I think that's part of why uh, in the other ketogenic studies, um, the ketogenic diet led to reduced anxiety, reduced depression. Yeah, and I think um, Dr. Chris Palmer from Harvard, a psychiatrist, uh, he talked a lot on using ketones in treating psychiatric disorders such as anxiety, uh, schizophrenia, uh, and depression. And just because ketones being able to really answer to be the solution to that energy deficiency in the brain. Correct, correct. Yeah. And, you know, we talked a lot about dietary change. We talked about treatment. Um, another thing we talk a lot on this show is the mental aspect of things, uh, which I think, you know, a lot of people should pay more attention to, especially when we talk about behavioral change. And you touched a little bit earlier on, on, on this because, you know, behavioral change, since we are not robots, we're not programmed to just switch on or off, what advice do you have for people who are trying behavioral change uh, methods and, and have their mindset, like what should they do around the mental aspect you know, of things? Um, I, I took care of uh, veterans at the VA hospital uh, and because I had such, such great success, uh, my hospital uh, pulled me out of primary care and had me create uh, my own clinic. We called it the Therapeutic Lifestyle Clinic. Uh, and we had so much demand that I kept redesigning that clinic uh, so we could let everyone in as as uh, as they wanted to come. Uh, and we'd have group classes. <clears throat> we would uh, bring people in. I would do the initial intake as a group, uh, then bring them back for uh, monthly group visits. And then we started having skills classes. Uh, uh, so... They would come monthly for the group support class, and then they could uh, do that for six months, and then uh, for the for forever, they could come once a month to the skills classes. Uh, and we had a uh, uh, health psychologist, uh, we had uh, physical therapists, occupational therapists, dietitians, chefs, uh, and so I would have thought that perhaps it was the um, exercise classes that would be the most uh, impactful or the cooking classes that would be the most impactful. What was the most impactful was uh, the, the understanding your hero's journey. Uh, what is your mission? What is your why? What my vets taught me is that you have to understand and grow your internal motivation to do this work. And to really understand what is it that you care so much about that you would walk into a house that was beginning to be on fire, smoke's rolling out of the windows, maybe there's a, 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 a flame shooting here or there, that you would go in to save that person or that work because it was so important to you. Uh, and 
Then when we identify what you care so much about, now I can link that, and for many, it's, it's their spouse, their children, their grandchildren. Like, okay, if you want to be there for your spouse or your child or your grandchild, now what's the next tiny little action you could take that would make it a little, a little bit easier to eat a better diet, uh, do a, a little exercise routine, or a little stress-reducing program? And we start with one tiny little action that you can start, start with uh, so they could have some success. Because what, whenever you create a new habit, it's work. It, it, it's work. It's energy. And people with complex chronic diseases are fatigued. They're exhausted. This is a really big ask for them. Uh, and so for them to be motivated, if we can get into what is your why, uh, that's very helpful. Another class that my vets taught me that they really, really loved, which was their hero's journey. And let me give, give you the context. Um, there are hero stories across religions, cultures, uh, across um, all the great societies. Societies facing some terrible threat, and they're losing terribly. The hero separates from the struggle, goes to work with a mentor, and they learn something really important. They come back to society, engage in the fight, and now, now the story is going to fluctuate a little differently. If in the Eastern societies, the hero might lose and die, but the society survives. In Western society, we know that against all odds, the hero is going to win, and he'll get the, the girl or the handsome guy, uh, and everything will turn out fine. I think the Eastern stories are much more interesting because you don't really know how it's going to turn out. It's there's much more at risk. Uh, and what what I the vets and I was like, you want if you want a really exciting hero story, it has to be a tough, big, terrible foe that you are fighting, and the chance of success is not guaranteed. And you might be like the Eastern society guy. That maybe you're gonna die, you're gonna succumb, but your effort will inspire everyone around you. Your effort will inspire your grandchildren. Your effort will be worthy of a wonderful hero story. And that captured my uh, veterans so thoroughly that now they were willing to do the work. They were willing to realize. Yeah, I do have a terrible disease. I do, and maybe I'm not going to succeed. But I'm, my kids and my grandchildren are going to see me working at it every day anyway. And now they're willing to do the work. We have to have a story that I'll tell myself that makes it willing, makes me willing to do the work, even if I don't know if I'm going to succeed. Even if I know that I'm facing a terrible, terrible circumstance. And so this is all about the, 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 uh, the reframing of how I face my uh, challenges and how I face my willingness to struggle and how I embrace that. Yeah, 
it might maybe I'm gonna die in the process maybe I'm still like gonna be in my wheelchair but you know my kids are gonna be impressed that every day I was willing to do my part yeah. that turns out to be the most important classes uh, and now when I uh, run my lifestyle class at the VA or my uh, clinic uh, for my private patients that's where I start we have to get people willing to be inspired to realize it's possible to realize yep there's no guarantee you got a terrible disease life's life's a bitch it's not fair um, and you've got a great hero story that will inspire uh, people for decades are you willing to play to your hero story and once I get them bought into that then then we can begin to work on so what's the next small little task that we can have you begin to work on that's that's really inspiring so in other words you know really find the why the mission of of your life and then hone into that and be an inspiration not just for yourself but for people that you love around you for everyone that um is around you yeah um and then you know take small steps towards that change little tiny steps and you can decide that you know and i used to think that everybody had to start with diet first and i did that the first uh, year uh, then finally i realized no 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 some people need to start with stress reduction uh, because they have to reduce their stress uh, reduce their cortisol and then they can come back and say you know what i'm ready to start working on my diet now uh, and so we would eventually come around to uh, uh, talking to our vets like okay uh, uh, if you want to work on health behaviors we'll send you to the health psychologist if you want to work uh, on uh, on exercise we'll send you to the physical therapist if you want to work on diet we'll send you to the dietitian um, and if you want to be in part of the group classes you're gonna to have to commit to that you're ready to do uh, the diet but you could work individually on diet very slowly uh, individually on stress reduction or individually on exercise uh, uh, with one of those health professionals uh, and uh, but if you want to be part of the group classes uh, we would uh, make people wait until they're ready to start working on their diet that's fair enough and are you um, giving any any presentations any seminar um, in the foreseeable future uh, if people are looking to you know listen to you speak uh, yes yes we have some uh, really wonderful opportunities uh, we have uh, because we have some sponsors uh, and let maybe I should get you in charge with my uh, team um, we are going to have a monthly free virtual seminar uh, to the public uh, and uh, as a matter of fact the next one uh, I believe is January 17th uh, and it is uh, once a month uh, uh, thereafter if people want to learn how to sign up for that uh, you have to uh, go to my uh, website uh, and sign up for the email uh, and there you will get a uh, uh, you'll get notified uh, for these uh, monthly webinars that we'll be doing uh, I believe they're called our uh, wellness uh, seminar series although I have to admit my team's in charge of that I just give the talk so I, I don't quite know how um, uh, what they've called it fair enough <laughs> you just you just show up and, and and just share your share your knowledge 
Yes. Um, yeah, no, happy to, to, you know, see any way we can help and, and collaborate. Um, so connect you with my team, Matt, uh, 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 because, uh, you know, I certainly believe in, um, uh, ketone salts. I think uh, that would make uh, a lot of sense. Yeah. And, and you've tried ketone IQ yourself. The first time we met, I, I made you, I made Terry, uh, take a shot of ketone IQ. <laughs> yeah, it was good. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was good. It, you know, uh, ketones are an acquired taste, but you know, I, I love um, the mental clarity I have with being in, in ketosis. Yeah, absolutely. So um, before we go off as well, um, if our listeners um, would love to find you on, you know, social media or any other platforms, could you please let our listeners know where can they find you? So my Instagram is Dr. Terry Walls. That's D-R uh, Terry T-E-R-R-Y-W-A-H-L-S. Uh, there you get to see what I'm eating, what I'm doing. You get uh, a lot of ins uh, inspiring messages. My website is Terry Walls, T-E-R-R-Y, Walls, W-A-H-L-S, uh, dot com. My Facebook is Terry Walls. Uh, and uh, again, when you go to my uh, website, be sure to sign up for the newsletter uh, because I um, uh, have a weekly email that talks about uh, uh, interesting research uh, that caught my eye. Uh, and then you would get to hear about uh, our uh, wellness uh, seminars that we are running. There you have it. Like one place that has everything. Sign up for the newsletter. Um, once again, Terry, thank you so much for coming onto our platform. And thank you so much for sharing your inspiring story, as well as um, your amazing work um, against MS. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.